Welcome to Dungeons and Tangents. This is episode 15. I'm Robert. And I'm Eric. Couple announcements to begin with. Uh, first, we have shifted to being primarily a podcast. We have been video focused, but it just doesn't seem important for a lot of our subjects. Most of our subjects are really the two of us talking. And if you want to stare at the two of us talking, you can watch our old podcasts on YouTube. Uh, but going forward, we're primarily going to be a podcast. Um, the other announcement is that we've been releasing regularly on Tuesday mornings, and going forward, we're going to be doing that pretty uh, consistently. So today's subject is the anatomy of an encounter, probably f- focused more for a, a dungeon master than a player, but you know, players can get something out of knowing what goes into uh, a good encounter. At the very least, they can appreciate what uh, their dungeon master has put together for them. That's true. So when I was thinking about this subject, I was trying to figure out, okay, what, what, are, the, what are the base elements of an encounter? And then it had to back off into, well, what the heck is an encounter? Mm-hmm. Most of the time when you talk about an encounter in D&D, it's you walk into a room and there are five goblins and you've got to kill the goblins. It's combat. But that's not really, like, that doesn't have to be everything. That's a typical encounter for a very specific flavor of gameplay and that's kind of that's kind of where D started it was mm-hmm. kick down the door kill the goblin but there, there's a lot more that's possible absolutely an encounter can be a conversation it can be trying to convince somebody of something an npc that has something that you need and sure you could kill them but maybe they've got 50 guards surrounding them you're probably not going to kill them without dying and that's I think just as compelling of a of an encounter as anything, it could be a physical obstacle of some sort. Like you've got to get over a bridge, and the bridge is rickety, or your cart has wheels and the bridge has stairs. And how are you going to get this cart over a bridge with stairs? Which right. happens to be a an unintentional encounter. Yeah, that was something I did in a session that <laughs> that took up way more of the session than I wanted it to take up because I accidentally put a bridge in a place. And told the players, oh yeah, no, it's, it's got stairs. Well, how do we get this card over it? I don't know. Wait, what? why are you worrying about this? This isn't the encounter. <laughs> but it but turned it out to be an encounter. It turned out to be an encounter, yeah. <laughs> you had unintentionally uh, built a death trap that we were obsessed <laughs> over for about uh, 30, 40 minutes. You know, crossing a river, crossing a bridge, climbing a, a mountain or a hill, having a conversation or trying to kill something, they're all encounters. Feels like it breaks down into, there have to be... One of a couple things going on. I said there need to be enemies, but I don't think there need to be enemies. Obviously, there doesn't. Uh, the bridge is not your enemy. I think that, um, well, the bridge could be your enemy. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I think that most traditional encounters have some kind of a conflict, and therefore it's yeah. easy to assume that an enemy has to be involved. But I think you're right. That's not necessary. There's an obstacle of some sort. Yeah, yeah there absolutely could be, Yes. You think that you think you could have an encounter that doesn't have an obstacle? Well, it really depends on how you define obstacle. Even just something as simple as coming upon a fork in the road and going left or right, that decision could be an obstacle. Well, that's right? true. One that we thought of earlier was you come upon a bag of gold sitting in the middle of the road. Right. Actually, before we get to that, <laughs> before we get to the bag of gold in the road, there are two other elements that are worth mentioning. So if an obstacle is a part of an encounter... We'll, we'll call that number one. Number two is there has to be risk of some sort. 
Yes. I think there has to be risk in any, every encounter, the risk of some sort of failure. I don't know that there has to be, but there probably ought to be reward, and that reward may not be tangible or physical. So I, I think there's three components that may or may not be in an encounter, but usually there's at least one of them. Most usually there's at least two of them, that being conflict, risk, okay. and reward. And you could you could almost fold risk and conflict. Well, maybe you can't. Can you? Ref- you could. Say I think that risk one's and a byproduct the of the other. Uh, maybe. It's. I, I think it, it becomes more <laughs> tangled thoughts. the more you try to think about it. I, ideally, from a, a ten thousand foot view, an encounter is something that makes your players stand up and take notice. Yeah. Yeah. So if if the three elements are conflict, risk, reward, mm-hmm. and I was interchangeably using the term obstacle for conflict. I think, yeah, we could use those as the same. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Again, we're trying to get philosophical about D&D, so. Right. <laughs> if it's obstacle, risk, reward, can you have an encounter that has only reward? And that's where that bag of gold in the middle of the road comes in. If your players come across a bag of gold in the middle of the road, is that just pure reward? It could be, but I, I almost argue that most players are going to see that and it's going to be a struggle for them. They're going to think that there's a trap or an ambush or something is going down. And the conflict then is in their own heads. Or the, yes, and the, or the conflict could be, do we take this or do we have to track down who belongs to and return it? Right? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a moral conflict. And do we have to do the right thing? In their heads or it could be an inter-party conflict in that some party members want to do one thing and some want to do something else. Right? I hope so. Um, it, it's funny because we actually kind of was like, well, can you have just, just reward? Yeah, a, a bag of gold in the middle of the road, right? <laughs> and the more we talk about it, the more interesting this encounter actually seems. Because when we first thought of it, it was just like this foolish thing. Just t- technically, can we break the system and make it just reward? And But now that we did it and we're talking about it, it's like, well, we could do this and we could do that. <laughs> Really mess with their heads. I, I feel like I have to do this. Like every <laughs> game that I run now, I want to just have a bag of gold in the middle of the road and see what the players do. And if they don't do anything interesting, I'm going to make something interesting happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm, something's going to happen. It's, it's going to be full of, uh, what are those, gold sprites? Or there, there's a, no, I can't remember what they're called. There's a, a form of creature that is essentially tiny mimics. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, that are shaped like gold. So it could be just a, a swarm of those things, or it could be an ambush, or it could be, you know, there's a note at the bottom of the bag of gold. This is starting to feel like a psych test. Yeah. Like how people react. Absolutely. It's not about the bag of gold at all. <laughs> so um, if those are the three elements, an obstacle, risk, and reward, then obviously the kick down the door, kill the goblin, that has all of those. Yeah. The obstacle is they're goblins. And the risk is those goblins could kill you. And the reward, well, it could be just surviving, but it could be, like, actual treasure. Or it could be that they stand between you and some greater reward, which is more likely the case. And maybe they hold the key to a room where a princess is uh, locked up. And you just have to kill them to get that reward so you can free the princess and have another reward of if she's the reward. <laughs> this kind of touches on something that I think is significant in that it's important for encounters to make sense. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. The bag of gold in the road, it kind of breaks down in that sense. It's a speed bump in a right. game of D&D. It's an encounter that means nothing. It doesn't tie into why your characters are the heroes. Ideally, your characters should feel like heroes or anti-heroes, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever they want to feel like. Now, if you're chasing a wagon that full of goblins that just robbed the caravan, and as they're chasing it, a bag of gold pops out and falls <laughs> in the road, all of a sudden it makes sense in the context of what right. was happening, right? Right. Um, so you're going to grab that gold, but it's probably not yours at that point. Right. And do you grab it knowing that they're going to get away? <laughs> So as I was thinking about all of the, the great encounters that I've experienced in D&D, or the ones that are memorable to me, usually there's a twist of some sort. Kick down the door, kill the goblins is really boring after you've done it a hundred times. Um, I kind of uh, apologize for our last session of D&D, which was exactly that. It was kick <laughs> down six doors, kill six rooms full of goblins, it was, and that was the whole session. It was also... A session for an adventure that is specifically architected for an introduction to Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So that is so a pretty had, stereotypical encounter. It had to have those stereotypical encounters. Yeah. And it did. Very much so. I've mentioned it before, but we're playing uh, some of the Citadel. Spoilers. <laughs> it's got a bunch of goblins behind doors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you play it, you'll find that out pretty quick. So. Yeah. But as I was thinking of all of the most memorable or most enjoyable sessions that I've, or encounters that I've been a part of, usually I said there's a twist of some sort in them. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking, okay, well, how do you, how do you make a twist? Uh, Like the one example that we use often of the, of a great encounter that you ran, we're all camping and goblins ambush us. And we fight back, but then we see there's something else out there, and it turns out to be our goblin companion is out there killing off all of the other goblins. But we thought he was uh, a lowly kind of wimp asleep in a tree. Yeah, exactly. We were we were convinced he was asleep in a tree. He was out essentially being the hero. I felt very engaged with that because we had this sort of preconceived notion of what Droop was like, Droop the goblin. And he turned out to be like the exact opposite, at least for that encounter. So there were, yeah. there were a couple different twists going on. One is we thought it was all bad guys out beyond our, our firelight. The other twist is we wouldn't have ever thought Droop would be the hero because he's the idiot comedy sidekick and he's asleep in a tree. And that's, that is one way that you, that is one tactic that you can use to or leverage for those kinds of twists and that is that in D&D it can be very easy for players to fall into this habit of everything that they encounter is very one dimensional yeah and yeah. by just fleshing out a character a little bit more giving them you know multiple motivations you know a little bit more personality it's very unexpected we had put the character of Dobby from Harry Potter we had just copy-pasted that in our brains onto Drew. Right. And, I mean, like, actually said it out loud during gameplay. Like, oh, he's just like Drew, or he's just like uh, Dobby. Um, we've got a little goblin, and it's not a house elf, but it's a goblin, mm-hmm. and he's small and diminutive, and he doesn't have his own stuff, and 
because when you encountered him, he was being beat up by some bugbears or something, right. and you know, com- completely abused, curled up in a ball, you know, hiding under a bed, and- very kind of submissive and all that. But also, he's a goblin, so it's the other things like we said. You want to make sure that things are are in place. They're not out of place. They they make sense yeah. in context. A goblin is a psychotic murderer when it it feels like it can be so with other goblins in the dark where it has advantage yeah he's got no problem we can call it being brave in air quotes right for a goblin but (laughs) if if he can murder you for advantage and have little to no risk to himself yeah he'll be you know super brave but that hadn't been thought about you like like you said the immediate perception was it's dobby um which painted droop in in kind of this light that i was able to use to do something unexpected right so when i was trying to think about how do you build a twist i'm I'm sure there are people who are writers who know like there's probably writing 201 in college where you learn here's how you write a twist to any plot yes (laughs) uh but when i was thinking about it you gotta you gotta make a believable front story that story Mm -hmm. that you tell the listener or the player and we were told Droop is a is a submissive, beat up little goblin who we're we're doing him a favor by having him hang out with us. He, he's practically more trouble than he's worth, but you know we're being nice. So that was the front story. He's he's practically useless. We'll see if he's helpful someday later. And we were also painted the story that he's asleep in the tree during this yes. uh, encounter. And something is out there, maybe multiple somethings. And based on all of our preconceived notions of how D&D works, we're like, well, enemies are attacking us, and there's something else out there, probably an enemy, because that's how encounters work, right? And I don't know that I even said that he was asleep in the tree. Like, I think that because no, he was didn't. basically Amber's companion. Amber's like, well, I'll have him sleep in the tree, you know, or something like that. right. So just letting players paint, you know, or, or say what's happening will make them instantly trust that that is happening, right? Because it yeah. was their idea. Yep. I never said it. So it's not like it's not how could I be leveraging that or using that or manipulating it? It wasn't my idea, right? Right. I think a big part of doing that, of subverting those expectations, is using other people's stuff, right? So using your players, what your players say, because they'll suspect what you say, but they'll totally trust what they say. Right? <laughs> it's true. And I've done that before. Uh, actually, I, I won't tell you about this because we're going to deal with this next session in okay. the, our Sunless Citadel Fair game. Enough. But I have done things where I have set the players up to say something, and they have said it, but they said exactly what I wanted them to say. Yeah. And by them saying exactly what I want them to say, I'm able to spin things around and have it meet up seemingly perfectly. It seems like coincidence then. It feels like a real coincidence. Because it feels so natural, because you can struggle sometimes to get a player to kind of play along with what you want them to do. Yeah. But they'll always play along with what they want to do. Right. right? <laughs> um, so if you if you you can plan it and kind of guide that, or or you can just off the cuff take something they do and say, well, I'm gonna and, I'm going to kind of insert my own, you know, motive into this thing that they're doing. Yeah. And and by cloaking it in what was their idea, they'll never suspect what's going to happen. Right. For example, 
we were convinced that Droop was asleep in the tree because mm-hmm. you had never said it. Amber said it. Absolutely convinced. And so when you had Droop outside the fire ring, the light of our fire and killing all the goblins, we were so surprised that you would use something against us. <laughs> and I was honestly convinced you were going to figure it out. Somebody's going to figure it out every single turn. It's going to be exposed. I think those those twists, you can do more in D&D with those twists than you can in a book or in a movie or a video game because the players get to be part of telling the story. I, I, I agree. And one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about that encounter was the way that Amber reacted. And I kind of used it. She was going to figure out Troop wasn't up there, right? So I needed to get oh, her right. to stop trying to get him out of the tree. So by escalating the threat, I got her to stop trying to wake up Droop by making her try to protect something that wasn't actually there. She stopped trying to wake him up so she could start addressing the threat by putting herself between Droop right. and the threat. Well, he was never there in the first place, right? Um, but it immediately pulled her attention away from it. Right. And I, I really enjoyed that on a couple different levels. <laughs> Well, as a DM, I think you, you at least I enjoy when I have tricked yeah. the players in some way. It probably says something terrible about us, but <laughs> I enjoyed it quite a bit. I tried to come up with a bunch of different examples of twists in stories and try to figure out, well, okay, well, how, do you, how do you really establish a good twist? And there are a lot of really good examples. Obviously, um, M. Night Shyamalan is, I'm sure I'm mangling his name. But he's well known for the twist, having uh, well the sixth sense. Mm-hmm. You are convinced by spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> You're convinced that Bruce Willis's character is just a child psychologist. He's helping out this kid who seems to see ghosts. Even if you've seen the trailer, you, you still believe that. Bruce Willis is just a child psychologist because the first like five, ten minutes of the movie are establishing him as a child psychologist. He works with one child, the child has a has a mental breakdown, ends up shooting Bruce Willis, but then you see him in the next scene, so obviously he survived. Right. <laughs> or actually I believe it cuts to a couple years later. So he's alright, and now he's working with a new kid, but his marriage is on the rocks, so you know that things have changed, and but you're you're given that story. He's just a child psychologist. The kid is where the problem is, and you're supposed to focus on the kid, right. and what his problem is. And then, of course, the twist is: well, Bruce Willis is actually a ghost, and he's been dead since uh, scene two. And I think the reason why that one works so well is because for me, it's not that finding out at the end that he's dead isn't the twist it is is it is a twist right but the, it's the the real for me anyway twist is that you go through that whole movie thinking that he's helping this kid and in right. reality the kid's helping him come to terms with what he is right right um and that entire dynamic between those two main characters is flipped and it's not even really flipped. It's your perception is flipped. That's the way it was the whole way through. Right. You just saw it differently. And all of a sudden, you see it differently. It's not like a twist where you just didn't know it and it wasn't presented to you. You were shown this the whole time. In the right? case of Droop and the, and the 
night raid by the goblins, we were technically able to see everything that we needed to see to figure out what was going on. But you built a narrative right. that was different, you know, that it, it snapped into place the second you saw a droop. Yeah. It snaps into place the second you see that last kind of bit in the sixth sense, right? And all of a sudden yeah. you understand. And th- those things where you build a, a narrative based off of what you see that just makes sense and feels natural to you, something's presented to you in a way where all of a sudden your entire narrative and perception changes in a way where all of a sudden yeah. you, you retcon something in your own brain like instantly. That I think that's a very powerful effect. It is, but I, I think you can do... So an encounter doesn't have to have a twist. I, I said that before getting into the subject of twists. Absolutely. You're but right. when they have twists, you have that more impact. But the twists that are on the scale of like an M. Night Shyamalan movie or uh, the encounter with the goblins at night, those are painting a really complex story that's true but also false at the same time. So an example of one that's much simpler you could just say, um, you know, an old man sells you a, a treasure map. Mm-hmm. And then the old man ends up following you and stealing the treasure from you. That's a twist. Right. It's not a very complex twist. I would agree. And <laughs> and I would think that the same thing applies to M. Night Shyamalan. If you found out at the end that the twist of the movie was that Bruce Willis was allergic to water, <laughs> I'd want my money back, right? <laughs> Wait, um, are you talking about un- uh, Unbreakable? No, I'm talking about signs. Signs? Oh shit! I haven't seen signs. Oh yeah, most well, well, unbreakable. He's he's allergic to water. What is he really? Kind of. I'm thinking about the aliens and signs. Oh no! They kill him with water. Oh no! Now I need now I need to see signs. I'm pretty apparently. sure that's how it was. Yeah. Well, uh, in Unbreakable, he's a superhero, and his kryptonite is water. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I wonder if I wonder if there's some water. I enjoyed Unbreakable quite a bit. Oh, I did too. I thought that was a great movie, and that one had a great twist. It was it was playing off of an existing narrative rather than painting a narrative. And again, you got a piece of information, and your perspective shifted. Yeah, your understanding shifted a little bit, right? As opposed to oh, here's what's going on. We just held a piece of information from you. Right. And now you, you know what's happening instead of what you thought was happening was wrong. This 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 comes back to something I've always, one of my friends is going to hate me for saying this, but I don't like Sherlock Holmes because Sherlock Holmes just keeps information from the audience and then reveals it at the end. And that's the twist is that he hasn't been telling everybody everything all along. And then at the end he comes along and says, well... I found this piece of evidence like six chapters ago, and I've been hanging on to it until now. And now I've pieced it all together, and here's, here's I the very answer. much so like Sherlock Holmes in the more recent iterations. Oh yeah, or interpretations because yeah. it it shows you kind of uh, it, you have enough for the most part to kind of figure what's going on in the old Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stuff. And yeah. I've read a bunch of it. Yeah. He takes something and he figures out how it's done, and then he reverse engineers a story and figures out what he has to peel away, yeah. so that you cannot figure it out. Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's bullshit. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I used to read them when I was a kid, and I once I realized what the pattern was, I was like, oh fuck, this is this is bullshit. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Um, Miss Marple uh, Poirot. 
Agatha Christie. Yes. She does the good stuff where it's a twist. Murder on the Orient Express is brilliant. Who was the murderer? Everybody. <laughs> and you don't expect that because everybody has a motive. Well, of course everybody has a motive. Everybody wanted to kill the person who got killed and everyone was involved in the killing. And that just completely flips your perspective on the thing. And Poirot didn't know it going in. Uh, he didn't know it until at the end he's like, I think you all did it. That's the only thing that's possible. You all have a motive. You all don't have reliable alibis. I think you all did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's just, it's got to be fun for your players and for you too. Um, that was quite the tangent right there. <laughs> yeah, just bringing back to, to D and D. Yeah, to D and D. So I said earlier, an encounter is something that stops your players and makes them take notice. Yeah, probably what would be better to say is that a good encounter is one that makes your players stop and take notice, right? Yeah. Um, because if it's if it's the third room, the hour is full of goblins and they just don't care, it becomes procedure, right? Yeah. Not something that they're going to show up next session to experience. It's just rote. Yeah. And that's not what you want. If there's right? no unique obstacle, if there's no twist, uh, if there's no unique reward, then, yeah, it becomes boring. And the reward could be just experiencing that encounter, right? That's having true. fun and enjoying it or, or having, you know, your perception subverted and that you thought it was one thing but it was another and just you came away like, man, that was a bunch of fun. That could be the reward too. It doesn't have to necessarily be an in-game reward. That's true. Okay, there's one other subject I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Which is the fact that failure always needs to be an option in every encounter. For D&D to be its most fun, the f- possibility of failure needs to always feel real. Because if it, if it doesn't, then you're just... It's like playing a video game. Uh, and I don't mean like old video games where it was really hard. I mean new video games right. where you, you're pretty much just pushing a character through a movie. You can't fail. You can't fail. And I think that success should almost always be an option too. And there'll be times when... Oh, yeah. You know, but yeah, it should feel like it matters. Right. Even when it's a non-combat encounter. The first encounter that most people have in a game of D&D is they're sitting in a tavern. Somebody comes up to them and says, I have something that I need you to do. They could fail that encounter. Oh, yeah. They could say, yeah, we can do it. And then the person says, well, prove to me that you can do it. I need you to go get a, you know, a key from some goblins in a dungeon and you're the first set of adventurers I've seen, but, you know, why am I going to hire you? <laughs> and if they fail, as a DM, i got to deal with the fact that I've written a whole bunch of content <laughs> behind that. And, you know, most likely I'm going to get them to that content some other right. way. But I want them to be able to fail at that. And and you also want to avoid something where, like, okay, well, they failed. Well, I have this content. Well, then, okay, well, somebody else comes up to you with you know because then you have this perception or this for me i have a mental image of the parties in a tavern they're being approached by somebody and they fail but that's okay because there's a line of 30 people going out the door (laughs) waiting to come up to them and offer them a job right right um when i am dming especially when i'm dming my own stuff it's a lot easier to have like lots of forks in the road if there's a pre-written campaign you're kind of forced into here are the steps that you have to go through Mm -hmm. to get to the end 
but I want that sense of failure. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking of the, how would you incorporate a twist in that, right? So um, thinking of Ruben, right? we, oh, yeah. we almost failed that one. We were so untrusting. He's just the old man he in the tavern. The old man, slightly senile, but we were so trying to figure out how he was trying to mess with us that we almost missed that entire encounter. Well, what if we had, right? What if we walked out and never got hired? Yep. Um, well, then what if somebody came after him, assuming that we had been hired, killed him, and then came after us because we were going after <laughs> what he wanted, right? It wouldn't matter that we didn't get hired. We would then have to pursue that objective because uh, somebody true. was chasing us and after us for it, right? Like, you could you could flip it around in a way to make it so that uh... you're still being guided, but the players absolutely had control over that encounter. So they don't yeah. feel necessarily... I mean, it is kind of railroaded, but it... For me, that would have a lot of flavor to like, oh, geez, well, what, what's going on? You know, there's there's risk in it. There's possible reward. There's definitely conflict, right? I don't mind kind of railroading the players into getting to my content so long as they feel like they're in control or out of control if they feel like the situation is more real, like yeah. if, if you're talking to an old man in a tavern and he just doesn't like the way you look and he says, eh, get away from me. I don't, I don't like you guys. Somebody, I felt somebody poking at my, somebody trying to steal something from me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Get away from me. She's lucky she rolled really well. I yeah. <laughs> gone south pretty quickly. Um, or think of uh, the scenario of chasing some bank robbers or somebody who robbed a caravan, right? And the gold fell out of the back of the wagon and we pick it up. Okay, well, let's say that the conflict is uh, a moral dilemma. Do we keep chasing them and leave it there? Do we pick it up? If we pick it up, do you return it? Or do we keep it for ourselves? Well, let's say we've got a paladin in the party. Well, we're going to return <laughs> it, right? And we take it and we return it, and then we get arrested for stealing from the caravan, <laughs> right? Like, the players wouldn't expect that, you know? The paladin would be pretty put out, like, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I, you know, now I'm being thrown into <laughs> lockup, you know? What could you do that people don't see coming? Because after you've played for a while, your players are going to start to really kind of feel like they see what's coming, you know? Yeah. And I always have the most fun. You I mean, you, you know, we are talking about this earlier, I have the most fun when... I get surprised and something happens that I was not expecting. Yeah. I think we've beaten this subject to death. All right. Like we've talked about twists and turns and obstacles, risks, rewards. Well, one of the things that I enjoy about this, doing this podcast is that I don't necessarily try to, to beat this to death. I just talk about the things I enjoy talking about. <laughs> Fair and enough. then if we want to stop at some point, that's fine. I think we've covered enough of this topic. All right. For this episode. Next episode, will you tell us what you want to hear? We have a huge list of things that are in our backlog. But if you have a subject that you're interested in telling us about, you can tweet at us. Our Twitter handle is at Dungeon underscore Tangent. That's pretty much our main communication. You can go to our website. Well, you can go to our you can, website. You can, contact us. you can contact us via the website. Okay. There's probably other ways, too. You could leave an iTunes review. That's right. That is actually one of the most important things you can do is rate us on iTunes. And if you want to tell us what you want to hear through that rating, that works. Absolutely. 
Um, but I think that is all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.